Good morning. Why don't you guys greet each other before we start? Well, it's great to be back here to uh, share the word with you guys. It's always a privilege to, uh, to come here and guest speak. I've, I've known your pastor for quite some time, way back. I went to Bible college, Calvary Chapel, Chino Valley, back in 95, 94, 95 or so. And uh, I remember he was part of that uh, group. And so he was, um, I think he was one of my teachers. I remember he had actually one of the classes that I went to. So I've known him for a long time when he was on staff there. And then uh, I went to New York in 98 to plant a church up there with my wife, Karine, and we were there for 10 years. And so the Lord called us back in, in 2008. And so we've been back uh, almost nine years, a decade actually, nine years, almost 10 years. So, uh, so anyways, so, you know, I've been doing that. I, I work at K-Wave as well as on uh, K, uh, Calvary Chapel, Chino Valley. I do Sunday night service there. I've been doing that for about four years. And um, I call that Sunday Night Life, SNL. Kind of catchy, isn't it? Um, so I do that every Sunday night. And so anyways, that's how I, I'm connected to your pastor. And it's always great to see familiar faces and even some new faces that I've been seeing here. So it's neat to see the church here, um, you know, growing and all of that stuff. So um, this morning I'm going to be looking at Acts chapter 3. If you guys open your Bibles to Acts chapter 3, uh, the message this morning, I've entitled the message, divine, A Divine Setup, A Divine Setup. And we're going to be looking at this story that I think it's a fascinating story of a lame man that was healed. And so Acts chapter 3, verse 1 through 10, I'm going to read through those 10 verses and then I'll get right into the study this morning. Verse 1, now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with, Peter, with John and Peter, said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this morning to come together corporately as a body of believers to hear the word. Lord, if there's any in this room who does not know Jesus, who are not Christians, that today, Lord, will be the day of salvation. That through this message, this, these, this story, this passage, Lord, that you will convince them that Jesus Christ is alive. And Lord, we thank you for giving us the Bible to, to read and to study as we know your word is alive, Lord, it's living, and it will do something to us this morning. And so, Lord, I pray that everyone that's in this room this morning, 
Lord, that you will touch them and encourage them and speak to them in a way that they've never heard you before. And so we thank you for that promise in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there's a story that I read about a, an agnostic professor who visited a primitive tribe that had been impacted by missionaries who brought them the gospel. This agnostic professor said to this chief tribe, who now was a Christian, he said this to, to him. He said, it's just a shame that you were duped by those missionaries. Nobody really believes the Bible literally anymore. We're more enlightened than that. Now, when the chief heard this from this agnostic professor, uh, the old chief pointed to the rock where they bashed the head of the people that they were prepared to eat, and they pointed to the oven where they roasted them. And he said this to the agnostic uh, uh, professor. He says, if it were not for the gospel message of the love of Jesus Christ, which could convert a cannibal into a Christian, you'd be our supper by now. You know, it's interesting because... The Bible tells us, and Paul the Apostle said this in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why isn't he ashamed of the gospel of Christ? Because the gospel has power to change lives. So I have no shame to share with someone who does not know Jesus Christ the gospel, to say, listen... You need Jesus Christ in your life. I don't have to be ashamed of that because the gospel has power to change lives. You probably a good testimony to this because you remember who you were before you were a Christian, right? And now who you are today in Christ, you're a totally different person. The power of the gospel has changed your life as well as it's changed my life. And so there's no shame in sharing the gospel with a non-Christian. And so Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of Christ the power of God to change lives. And this professor who was an agnostic professor came to that understanding that this cannibal, once cannibal, was now a saved person and he was a changed man. When I see a life changed, it reminds me of Romans chapter 1, verse 16. When I meet someone who was not a Christian, has become a Christian, and remembering who they were before Christ just brings me to that understanding that the gospel changes lives. And it's for everyone, the agnostic, the atheist, the religious person. It's everybody. It's not just only for those that are just broken, but it's also for the proud, those who are prideful and think they know it all. And so we come to this section this morning, and I want to draw your attention to a man who was changed by the message of Christ. And it's this here that we see in chapter 3, is that the book of Acts is a book that is full of movement. Movement by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was active in doing some great, great things. Let me kind of give you some samples or examples here. Up to this point of Acts chapter 3, there were a variety of great things that were happening in the early church. For example, in Acts chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, they, they realized that there was a great miracle that just happened. That was the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came upon these men and empowered them for what God called them to do. Then as you move along to chapter 2, again in verse 14, we see great preaching. When the people heard the gospel, they said, what shall we do? That's great. Isn't it awesome if you share the gospel with someone at the end of that, the conclusion is what should I do then? Is to come to Christ, receive Jesus Christ. There was great preaching. There was also great conviction. 
Acts chapter 2, verses 37 and 30, uh, uh, great conviction, 37, 38. Again, that's what they said, what shall we do? Uh, the great preaching, let me kind of back up a little bit. Acts chapter 2, verse 14 was more of uh, Peter's preaching there in Acts chapter 2. So there was great miracle, there was a great preaching, there was great conviction. Number four is there were great salvation. In Acts chapter 2, verse 37, 3,000 souls were saved. 3,000 souls were saved. And then as you continue on in chapter 2, you see a great hunger in people. Acts chapter 2, verse 41, they were learning, sharing, meeting, and praying. There was a great hunger. I mean, just for you guys to be here this morning shows that you guys have a hunger to learn more about God. Sure, you were probably invited this morning, and probably you're saying, I'm, I was hungry for eggs this morning, but not for what, what's going on here. That's true. As a natural person, you probably were hungry physically. But as a believer, you come to church because you want to know more about Jesus. You want to learn. You want to grow, right? Well, in the early church, there was great hunger. They wanted to get together to learn. They wanted to get together to pray. They wanted to get together to read. It was a powerful, powerful thing that was happening. Then there was great unity. In Acts chapter 2, verse 46, they continually, daily met with each other in one accord. So there's this great unity among Christians in the early church. They wanted to hang out together. And then there was great favor and great praises. In Acts chapter 2, again, verse 47, it says that the Lord added and the people were all getting along. And so we see that in the book of Acts, at the early beginning of the book of Acts, some great things were happening. And in fact, it even says in Acts chapter 2, verse 43, that many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. Great things were going on. As we come to chapter 3 of Acts here, we see another example of the power of God. There was this great, great miracle that happened. And so let's look at this in verse 1. It says, Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Peter and John, you guys remember Peter and John? These two were trained a little more by Jesus than the rest of them. They were kind of like the inner circle. They were part of the inner circle. And these two would be great to have at a church serving. Peter, who became this bold proclaimer of the gospel. John, the apostle, became a strong leader in the church. Now, before all that happened, you know, Peter was the outspoken one, right? He always had that last word to say, right? And then John... He was labeled as the son of thunder, right? He, was, he had this fiery disposition. He wanted to burn people if they didn't listen to Jesus, if they didn't receive the gospel. Remember that as he went through the, the Samaritan town and him and his brother were there. And because the people rejected Jesus, they said, Lord, why don't we just call fire down from heaven and just wipe them out? And Jesus says, no, we don't do that. That's, I did not come here to destroy lives. I came here to save lives. I know sometimes we get like that, right? You don't want to accept Jesus? Fine, then burn, right? You think you, you get to that point, right? But that's not what God wants. He doesn't want to burn people. He wants to save people. And so Peter and John were an incredible pair. They were bold. They were outspoken. And one thing that I noticed of Peter and John is that these two were very competitive, they were very competitive. In the Gospel of John, and only in the Gospel of John does he say this. John chapter 20, verse 4. Remember when Jesus rose from the dead, John writes this. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. That's John writing. He says, I was faster than Peter. Nobody else mentioned that. 
And then another time, John chapter 21, after Jesus informed the kind of death that, that Peter would die, John writes that Peter said, well, what about John? I mean, there were, these guys were just kind of like competitive. And here we see them going to the temple at the hour of prayer. What time is that? Three o'clock. That was about three o'clock in the afternoon. Now, according to Jewish calculations, there were three different hours of prayer. 9 a.m., 12 p.m., and 3 p.m. So, probably based out of Psalm chapter 55, verse 17, they go to this time of prayer because the, that Psalm says, it says this, entering, uh, or actually, actually um, every morning and, and at noon I will pray, he said, and cry out loud, and he shall hear my voice. So evening and morning, he says, and at noon. So maybe based out of that Psalm 55, the Jewish people kind of came up with these three hours of prayers. And so here is John and here is Peter going there at three o'clock. And we see them here that the text here refers to the time of the evening sacrifice. The original followers of Jesus worshiped at the temple specific daily uh, times and daily, uh, daily, uh, daily times, actually. Uh, in these local congregations. But notice in verse 2, it gets pretty interesting. He says, A certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried there, it says, whom they laid daily at the gate. There's no name given for this man. Obviously, there's no, there's no reason to give his name. It wasn't about him. It was about what was going to happen to him. And his condition is described very well by Dr. Luke. Luke, who wrote the gospel of, or, or, or the, the book of Acts. And he describes him that he was lame from birth. He was born in this condition. And he was carried, notice, reveals that his condition was hopeless. He couldn't walk. And he had to rely on other people to carry him to this place. And also, it was while he was being carried that he was sitting there and they laid him there to beg. And notice that they did this daily. This was his normal routine. It says that they laid daily. Suggests that this was what he did day in and day out. Beggars in those days had several favorite spots to go to. The house of a rich person. They laid them right in front of the house of a rich person, hoping that they would actually give money to them. They would actually go into the main highways, like today, where there's a lot of cars going in and out. So you see them today at the end of all of our exits on the freeways. They pick places where there's more people, more visibility. Well, back then, they did the same thing. Sometimes they would even go into the temple, and here's where we see this man. He would pick the temple. Why would he pick the temple out of all the places that he could have picked for him to ask for money? Well, there's a reason for that. It's because... This was the favorite place for the Jewish people to go and impress God with their almsgiving. So it was expected that when a Jewish person saw a person like him in this condition, that for them to impress God, they would give him something. It was all based on works. And that's how they approached the temple. And so the rabbis taught that there were three pillars for the Jewish faith. The Torah, worship, and the showing of kindness or almsgiving. And this is what we see here. So we see here that this man is sitting there. He's laid there daily. And this gate is called beautiful. Uh, this was a, a massive gate. This is not like a gate that you have at your house. 
This was a huge gate. Scholars say this gate was 75 feet high with a huge double door made out of fine brass, and they say that it took 20 people, 20 men, to close the gate and open the gate. So you could imagine how big this gate was, how heavy this gate was. Every, everything about the temple was glorious. In fact, in Luke chapter 21, verse 5, it says, Then as, a, as, this, as the, um, some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations, then Jesus in Matthew 24 says, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him to show him the building of the temple. They were in awe of this place. So this was an incredible place. And so here is this crippled man from birth, begging, and notice he's asking for alms. This was business as usual for this man. This was his normal routine. And not only just that, but he really did not have any, any outlook in his life except for just begging for money. He never expected a miracle. He never expected to be taken out of this condition. This was his normal routine. He, he, it, was, it was a very predictable kind of life. But little did he know that God was going to change his routine. God was about to interrupt his daily routine. And you know, when I read that and I, I think about life in general as Christians, you never know when God wants to interrupt your daily routine. But you have to be willing to allow God to interrupt your daily routine. I know sometimes it's difficult, but he can interrupt it because I think that God wants to do something new in your life. God wants to do something different in your life. You remember David? David was a shepherd, a good shepherd. He did his thing. He had no clue that God was going to use him and make him to be the next king in Israel. And he came from a, from a shepherd, as a shepherd. Just a typical job, a lowly job as a shepherd. And yet God says, I'm going to change your routine and I'm going to give you the throne of the nation of Israel. You're going to be the king. Another uh, example is Peter, James, and John themselves, who were fishermen. They had a profession, and yet God interrupted their daily routine. And he says, you are now going to be fishers of men. No longer going out to fish, even though they still did it, but their main focus in their life was people. This beggar is in for an incredible change of life, a change that was permanent, a change that was exciting, a change that transformed his life, not only physically, but spiritually, as you're going to see here in a moment. And notice in verse 3, he says, Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked for alms. What perfect timing, huh? I mean, here are the Peter and John, these heavyweights of the Christian faith at that time. And now he is confronting these two men. God had a plan in mind here. And we see that his plan is about to come to pass. I see this as Peter and John being set up by God. This is why I've entitled the message, A Divine Setup. God set these guys up. Peter and John were not miracle hunters. They were not looking for miracles like we do today, like some, some churches are out there trying to find the miracles. That was not the case here. They didn't have this planned. The Holy Spirit all of a sudden moved in their lives to do this. So God, in his wonderful ways, brought these three men together all at the same time. It was God's perfect timing. God's perfect timing. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says this, 
For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God's time is the best time, don't you think? Sometimes we want our time, right? We want this to happen at our time right now. But listen, even though we want that right away, we know that God's timing is the best. You know, when it comes to life, we're always waiting for something. We're waiting for that right job. We're waiting for that right person to marry, right? We're we're always waiting maybe for a problem to turn around. And when it doesn't happen in our time, we get discouraged. And we get bummed out. Or we look at God as like, you failed me. And it's interesting for us to understand here that his time is the best. And Ecclesiastes 3.11 makes that clear that he has made everything beautiful in his time. Everything beautiful in his time. This is an important principle here that we see in this passage, that this lame man is about to be healed. And notice what it says in verse 4, fixing his eyes on him with John and Peter. He says, look at us. This word, fix, is the same word that is used in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, when the disciples were gazing as Jesus was being ascended up into heaven. That same word as they were gazing up is the same word here. It's an interesting word because what we see here is that this person was fixed on these guys. There was no other distraction. Have you ever had that happen to you before? You see something and like your eyes are fixed on that object. There's nothing else that you see beyond that. This, this, this is what was going on right here. And he says, look at us. In other words, give me your attention. Look at us. And notice in verse 5, it says very clearly, so he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. I find that so cool. The beggar expected the usual. What do you think he expected? Money. I mean, you see it very clearly here that the beggar here was expecting for money. He was not asking for prayer. He was not even asking to be healed. He just expected money. Everything in this here is saying to him, I am about to receive money. These guys are asking, they're, they're telling me to look at them because now they're about to give me something. He's, he's going to receive something. This is something that is, that is accurate. It's the right thing to do at the right time. Everything said to that man, I'm going to get money. It's kind of like when you get to Christmas, right? We're kind of coming to the end of August, right? And after August, you get into September, guess what? All the commercials are going to start throwing out Halloween and, and, and Thanksgiving and then Christmas. In fact, just recently, my wife and I were looking at uh, this commercial, and they were already having this commercial with the, with the weather being winter. So they're already preparing you, right? They're conditioning you. So when it comes to Christmas, everybody in here expects a gift, right, from somebody. Don't, don't say you don't, because you do. Everybody here expects a gift at Christmas time. It's the right thing. It's the right time. You get to Christmas, you're around your family, somebody's going to give you a gift. What happens if this year you don't get any gifts? And instead of a gift, they just give you a hug for Christmas. 
I guarantee you some of you would be kind of bummed because you expected the gift. This man expected money, and he's not going to get money. He's going to get something better than money, and that is exactly what the disciples here communicate to him. The expectation of this beggar was a lot less than wanting to be healed. It was a low expectation. And so, verse 6, Peter and John says, he says, Peter says, silver and gold I, I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Wow. I mean, could you imagine that? Being that man crippled, hearing those words, I don't have any money, but this is what I have. I have Jesus. And by the power of Jesus, by the character of Jesus, rise up and walk. It's interesting here because, again, these guys weren't there to give this guy money. And he's saying we're much wealthier than, than money. We have Jesus. You know, the Christian is rich. Did you know that? Spiritually. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, that you all have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Christians are the most blessed people on this earth. Did you know that? And people always say, count your blessings. Christians have a lot of blessings to count. And it's funny because sometimes, and I get caught up with this, you start looking at the negative things in life. You begin to complain about things. But if you were to sit down and jot down on a piece of paper all the blessings that God has bestowed on you, I guarantee you, you'd have a full page. Because God has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. And so we have something to give to this world, and that is Jesus Christ's. Jesus Christ not only changes lives, but brings purpose to a life And so we have him to share. And that's exactly what Peter and John are saying. Listen, I don't have any money, but I have Jesus. And Jesus can make you well. And listen, that is the blessing that we have. When you share Jesus with a non-Christian, it's Jesus that they need. Not money. I've, I've ministered to people before who were not Christians that were going through a hard time, bad marriage, something went wrong in their life, and I can offer them help financially, I can offer them my house to stay in, but I know in the, in, in, in the, in the depths of my heart that what that person really needs is Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that you come to Jesus and all of a sudden you're going to get this high-paying job. I'm not saying you come to Jesus and those problems are going to disappear. What I'm saying is you come to Jesus and he's going to help you walk through those problems. He's going to sustain you. He's going to give you the peace that surpasses all understanding. And so when we tell people, you need Jesus, we mean it because Jesus Christ can change lives. And maybe you're not a Christian this morning. You're hearing me say this. I want to say this to you. You need Jesus. You may even have a good life right now. You have a good job. You're driving your Tesla, whatever. But listen, without Jesus Christ, life is meaningless because you cannot take those material things with you when you die. Living life on this side of heaven is to prepare us for the next life. And Jesus Christ will get you there safely. And so if you're not a Christian this morning, if, if you're just a religious person and you're maybe perhaps one that is just interested in Jesus and you're here because of that, listen, make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior this morning. 
Don't leave this place without knowing Jesus. Experience the blessings that he gives you. Experience the peace, the mercy, the grace, and most of all, the forgiveness. Because that is why Jesus Christ came here to this earth, is to die on the cross to deliver us from our sin. Because our sin is what kills us. Our sin is what's going to mess us up at the end of the day when we die without Christ. That's why we call him Savior. That's why we call songs like Amazing Grace of what he did on the cross for us. And that is the hope that this man needed. Not just, here's a hundred bucks, I'll see you next week. It's Jesus. And more than that, he is actually about to be healed. And notice, he makes it very clear here. He says, what I do have, he says, is Jesus. And then he says, rise up and walk. Rise up and walk. Verse 7, notice what happens. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. What faith, right? I mean, there's, listen, there's a lot happening here, okay? You have Peter and John who are being led by the Holy Spirit. They're convinced that this is the right thing to do, okay? And yet you have a man who's there sitting, lamed, crippled, who has to have some kind of faith to lift up his hand and believe that what they're saying is true. Because he could have slapped their hands and said, get out of here, phonies. What do you mean, get up and walk? I haven't walked in all my life. But for him to reach out his hand and to get up, I mean, just, I can't understand this, but the process that was happening there, the, 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 the spiritual stuff that was going on, the, the physical things that were going on, it was just, everything was coming together. Everything was coming together. This crippled man believed in Jesus Christ. He believed that Jesus Christ can bail him out of this condition. And listen, Christ can bail you out of your condition as well. You just have to believe. You have to trust him. That's what this man is doing. He hears the name of Jesus, and instead of rejecting the name of Jesus, he's going for it. And he picks him up, and I like Luke. Luke is a doctor, so he's given us a really good description of this miracle. He says that he took him by the hand And then it says immediately. In other words, the miracle was immediate, instantaneous. There was no waiting. It happened right away. Now, when Jesus healed people, at times it was an hour later that were healed, or they were healed on the spot. Here, there was no waiting. This was something that was happening right then and there. And so what happens here? Notice his feet and ankles. Here we see Luke describing this. He describes the whole process of the miracle. And notice it says he received strength. The faith of this man. As soon as Peter reached out for his hand, the man stood up. He felt the strength in his feet and ankle bones and took a step of faith. Salvation starts that way. It's a step of faith. You trust God. Okay, I I believe that. You know, just recently, it's really cool. Um... I led someone to the Lord and sharing the gospel with them. And, and I remember this is a, a, a gentleman that, that I, I ministered to in New York for a long time. Uh, he, he's a dad, and, and his wife was a Christian. His kids, when we moved to New York and started the church, they were the first youth group. They were the first children's ministry, and they were the first youth group after they were older. And they, I remember them telling me and my wife that the dad 
would always mock them because of their Christian faith. He would make fun of them because of, because of their walk with Jesus. And this happened for a long time. We were there for 10 years, and that man did not come to Jesus. He barely came to church. He never went to church. And so I've been gone nine years, and this summer in July, we went on vacation. We usually go to New York every two years on vacation. And so we go to New York this past July, and we went to see this family. The church is doing great. The church is growing. And in the last few years, I heard that this dad was going to church now, but he had not made his commitment to follow Christ. He still kept Jesus at a distance. And so I got the opportunity to go to the, the, the his, his name is Larry, and I went to Larry, and I just felt impressed that before I left to come back to California, I said, I need to talk to him. I need to see where he's at. It's been 19 years since we were there. And so I want to talk to him. I want to just see where he's at. Because according to his family and his wife, he still had not crossed over to come to Jesus. And so I had a meeting with him. I went over his house. I shared with him just again, how are you, Larry? Have you, have you received Jesus? It's been a long time. I know you've been very hesitant to come to Jesus. But listen, you've been going to church now. You've seen your children's lives transformed. Your wife is a Christian. What is holding you up? And he says to me, nothing. And I said, then let's get it done. Let me lead you to Jesus Christ. And it was so awesome for him to look at me with this, this look, this humble look. Here's a man who made fun of his children because they were Christians, he says to me, let's do it. And right then and there, in front of his little daughter, I led him to Jesus Christ that long. And, and it's awesome to see that he finally took that step. It takes a step of faith to come to Christ. And maybe that's what's holding you back. Maybe it's your friends that, that you're thinking, man, if I became a Christian, I'm going to go back and I cannot go out in the bars anymore. I cannot do this anymore. I cannot say these things on Facebook anymore. It's just a little difficult. Listen, who cares? It's worth it. It's worth settling your eternal destiny. It doesn't matter. So this man, Larry's saved. He knows Jesus now. Here is this crippled man, I'm sure has heard of Jesus, perhaps Jesus had walked by him. According to Acts, later on in Acts, I believe, chapter 4, this man was over 40 years old. And so I'm sure he's heard of Jesus. And here he is being confronted by Jesus' disciples and hearing the name of Jesus. And he says, get up and walk. So what happens? Notice in verse 8, the healed man is now basically healed. He says this in verse 8. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Isn't that amazing? I mean, to see this man who was crippled from birth is now walking. But notice what he's doing. He's leaping. He's testing his new found ability. It's like a little kid. I have a two-year-old, almost three. And when he has a brand new toy, he gets excited with it. He wants to play with it. He wants to do things with it. I remember when he was learning how to walk. I mean, you could tell he was trying to walk. And, and it's so awesome as a parent, right? When you see your child beginning to walk, right? And you cheer them and all of this. Now at three years old, he's running around. You're like, I wish he didn't walk. Right? 
And you can see when he begins to learn how to walk, even now he's learning, he's trying to learn how to jump. So he's skipping. And he's like, Daddy, look. And he skips and he's got this little smile. He's trying to skip. He's trying to skip. This newfound ability that he has. It's like this man right here. He's leaping. He's like, oh my, I'm walking. This is amazing. I've never done this. He's like a little kid. But notice though, he's only not just doing this, but he's praising God. He's praising God. Isaiah chapter 35, verse 6. There's a prophecy here that said, The lame will leap like a deer. The mute tongue will shout for joy. It's a prophecy that's even being fulfilled here in front of their faces. Messianic prophecy that Christ would heal those that are crippled. And so he, the leaping speaks of the joy and the excitement that Jesus brought into his life. And the joy and excitement is so exciting. You know, it's so cool to see this because when God answers your prayers, what do you do? When God answers your prayer, do you be, are you like, oh, cool? Or do you, exci- you get excited? Do you close the door in your room? And you're like, yes, Jesus, all right. I do that. I get excited when God answers prayer. I mean, for me to be like, oh, well, well whatever, that's, not, that's cool. Or we start doubting, well, was it really God, you know? Get excited. If you've lost that joy and excitement of, of being a Christian, listen, pray what, what David said in Psalm 51, verse 12, restore the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Restore the joy of your salvation. If there's no joy in your life, ask God to restore that joy. Do you remember when you first became a Christian? Was there joy? Was there excitement that you were actually a Christian? Maybe now you're like, ah, there's no joy. There's there's no excitement. It's just, it is what it is now. You've lost that joy. You've lost that excitement. Listen, God is exciting. When you read the Bible, God is exciting. You read a, a God who is amazing, right? You don't read a boring God in the Bible. God is a God of action. We're the ones that are boring, not God. And so we have to look at this, and we have to look and say, Lord, if I've lost that excitement, if I've lost that joy, restore it. You know, when Moses crossed over to the other side, when God parted that Red Sea, in Exodus 15, it says that they sang with joy to the Lord because of that salvation experience, that they were saved as they went through that water, that dry ground. I know sometimes life can take away that joy and the excitement. And, but here we see this man was praising God. And, and when it comes to praising God, especially in this story here, this should always be the end result of any healing or miracle done by the Lord. Praises are always to God, not to man. Man should never take credit for any miraculous things that happen. It should always be given to God. A whole new life. His crippled condition was changed to walking. His hopeless attitude was changed to leaping. And his spiritual condition was changed. And he was brought to faith in Jesus Christ as he began to praise God. And not only that, but notice what happens as we close here in verse 9 and 10. The man becomes a witness. Verse 9. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. They connected the dots here, you know what I mean? 
They, they notice this guy walking, praising God. And in their minds, they're like, hmm, this means that God did this. He is giving God the credit, not Peter and not John. It's given to God. And notice they were filled, it says here, with wonder and amazement. They couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe this is the same guy. I mean, have you ever had that happen to you? You run into an old friend, and they look at you, and they're like, you're a Christian now? That's weird, really? They're in amazement, right? They're like, I know who you were, and now you're this person. They just can't understand that. These guys couldn't understand that here this guy was a lame man from birth, had no relationship with God, and now all of a sudden, not only he's walking, but he's praising God. His whole life changed. The people who knew this guy couldn't believe it. Their eyes were just baffled to see this. Begging for money at the temple daily, crippled from birth, walking. Now they notice two things right away. His ability to walk and his new faith in God. And his new faith in God. I want to close with verse 5. Verse 5 says that he was expecting to receive something from them. The man had a daily routine laid at the temple gate to beg for money day in and day out. He was going through the motions. His life was very predictable, very predictable. His condition kept him from experiencing more in life. The money he received from the people was a temporary fix. But God pulled him out of this crippled condition, gave him a new life, gave him a new outlook on life, and renewed his heart. The man experienced a revival. Maybe you're here this morning and you're kind of going through the motions in life, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. You're just going through the motions. You're just kind of hanging in there, kind of getting through life, one trial after another. Maybe your life has become way too predictable. I know what I'm going to do tomorrow. I'm going to wake up in the morning, have my coffee, have my two eggs, my toast, go to work, open the door of my office, go to the computer, look at my emails, work for eight hours, come home, eat dinner, watch a movie, go to sleep. And you do this over and over and over and over. Life has become too predictable for you. And so God wants to pull you out of that daily routine. God wants to do more in your life than what you're experiencing right now. God has a plan for your life. It doesn't matter how old you are, whether you are 20, 40, or 70. If you have breath in your lungs, you're usable in God's eyes. God wants to change that. And if you're here this morning, you're saying, Robert, I am there. My life has become too predictable. And yes, I've become flatlined spiritually here. I'm just kind of going through the motions. Listen, you need a revival in your heart. And God is willing to do that if you're willing to allow him to revive your heart. If you're here this morning and you're not even a Christian and you're listening, you're listening, and you're like, okay, this is making sense. I've had my neighbors tell me about Jesus. I've, I've ran into stations that have Jesus on. Okay, this is God's time for me to get right with him. If that's you, that's what God wants to do in your life. It's for you to get right with him. That when you walk out of this place, you're walking out of here revived. Whether you're a Christian, revived in your own heart, a revival, or not a Christian, you're walking away here excited, just like this man, that you have finally received Christ as your Lord and Savior. I want to pray for you. And so what I want to do right now is I'm going to ask you just to simply just bow your heads and close your eyes. And I'm going to close with the word of prayer. 
And I want to give every person an opportunity here. I want to speak to two groups of people. I want to, I want to, I want to speak to the first group here. If you're here this morning, you're a Christian, you're a born-again Christian, you're here, and you've been going through some difficult times, perhaps you, are, you, you feel like you're just stuck in life, you're in a rut. You need a revival in your own heart. If that is you, raise your hand. I want to pray for you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Lord Jesus, I lift up the arms, the hands that went up, and they're saying, Lord, revive me. And Lord, your word says that you are willing to revive us according to your word. And so I pray for them right now, Jesus, that you will revive their hearts, whatever's going on, whatever bumps they hit on the road in their walk with you, Lord. I pray right now that you remove those obstacles. I pray that you refresh their hearts. I pray that you fill them with your Holy Spirit empower them. And as they walk out of here, Lord, they're going to walk out of here with with a new outlook in life, excited to know what you have planned for them. And I want to speak to a second group. If you're here this morning and you need to get your life right with Jesus, it would be a privilege for me to lead you in a word of prayer that will get you right with God. If that is you, would you raise your hand? God bless you. I see your hand back there. Anybody else? If you're here this morning, God bless you. I see your hand, ma'am. Anybody else that wants to get their lives right with God, raise your hand. I'm going to lead you in a simple word of prayer. For the ones that raised their hand, just repeat this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I'm putting my trust in you right now. I am receiving you as my Lord and my Savior. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me. And use me to bring honor and glory to your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. What a blessing. Won't you guys stand? For the ones that raised their hand and said, I want to get my life right with Jesus, listen, I encourage you to 